Welcome to the False Neutral, a show that a show whose title is very appropriate. Um, <laughs> this week, Garrett and I are on our own after Pete was flying solo last week, and the reason the title of our podcast is so appropriate for this show is that I think we're on about the fifth time of trying to record that <laughs> now. Three or four of it are some scheduling issues. Uh, and then last week when Garrett and I recorded, um, uh, when I recorded it, it recorded my side, but not really Garrett's side. So yeah. it was sort of pointless at that point. So um, thanks to Pete for kind of picking up and, and filling in for us because Garrett and I were both had other stuff going on to try and the last second try to s- put something together. So Yeah, it's been a weird past few weeks. And unfortunately, a guest that we were supposed to have a couple weeks ago, uh, there is some miscommunication and Skype wasn't really working on uh, working well. But um, the guy that we were supposed to talk to, I was so excited to talk to him because he's a like a super adventure rider. He'll do these adventure rides across Africa and some of them last 12 months long. I mean, they are some pretty serious adventure rides. Yep. And through Australia, where you come across like a hundred of the world's top 100 most dangerous creatures. And so I couldn't even imagine what that's like. So I was really excited to talk to him, but then that uh, didn't quite work out the way it was uh, planned to. But hopefully we can get him on as a guest sometime soon. Yeah. So I hope we didn't piss him off enough to make him not want to join us, but we'll see. We'll try it. Yeah, hopefully. I, I, I agreed. After I, uh, I didn't really know who he was, but after I looked at his website and did some reading, yeah, it was, it was definitely looking to be a really, a really cool show. So, yeah. Uh, and one of the things that I was looking forward to talk to him, uh, talking to him about is it looked like they have some kind of hooligan races, uh, called posty races where they get on the CT. 110 trail bikes and have a race amongst each other and because that's what the postal guys ride so they call them posty races but i was kind of excited to talk to him about that i thought that would be a blast to do but oh well yeah we'll get there. australia is such a wild place anyways because i think I like 85 or 90 percent of the population lives within 50 miles of the coast right or, a, or sorry a coast well, you know yeah think about it the continent is about the size of the united states but it only has 25 million people that live there versus the united states has 350 million so the concentration of population for landmass is way lower there than it is here and uh when you figure places like sydney have almost half of all of that population you know just one city and so when you take sydney out of the equation the density of population through the rest of Australia is so low, it really makes you think about when you do an adventure ride across Australia, it's not like doing an adventure ride across the United States. There could be nothing for a long, long, long ways. And so I'm sure that there are some pretty significant challenges, but I was 
one of my friends lives in Sydney or used to his family still does. But my wife and I are planning a trip to go over there and visit. And I was thinking, oh, it'd be kind of cool to go meet up with Phil, who is going to be our guest and see if I could talk to him about motorcycles when I'm there. And so I looked at a map because he is on the east coast of Australia and Sydney's on the east coast of Australia. And geographically, they look pretty close. But then when you look at the travel distance, it's like 12 hours drive <laughs> just to get down the coast. Yeah. Uh, you know, and so it, it really puts into perspective how big that continent is. So, yeah, it's it's pretty massive. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, so thousands of kilometers of like nothing in between right. kind of. So. Yeah. Except for dingoes and kangaroos. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So, um, yeah, I just got back from the Department of Licensing here a few minutes ago, and I finally got my license plate for my YZ450F. So oh, sweet. I finally have a 100% street legal dirt bike. It's not a WR450. It is a YZ450. So I'm pretty excited about that. Um, they don't do them very often. So I was standing at the counter at the Department of Licensing for about an hour and a half while they figured out the steps to make it street legal. When I first gave them the paperwork, they just stared at it for probably five minutes, didn't say a word to me, just stared at it. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, God, now where is this going to go? But they figured it out, so I got a license plate. So cool. if any of you listeners live in Washington, uh, be advised, you can take any motorcycle, two-wheeled, that was designated for off-road use only, and if you have a title for it, you can go and have it modified uh, to meet on-road criteria, which is not uh, a big deal. They, you don't have to do emissions components or anything like that. They really just want to see DOT tires, DOT signals, headlight, taillight, stoplight, um, and mirrors. And you can take a, a dirt bike and make it street legal and ride it on the road. As That's, long as it's safe, so all, all of a sudden, all those Aprilia Cup bikes are like, "Oh, hey, <laughs> yeah, I know." And so it makes me think about, you know, we had that guest on from Road America, uh, and we were talking about the Beyond um, conversion kits that they do for the GP450 bikes, or I think they may be used to. I don't know if they do it anymore, but you could take a motocross bike and put the radial mount forks on it and change the suspension geometry, put a fairing on it, and it makes it into a, uh, you know, a race bike. And so you could take a dirt bike, basically convert it into an on-road race bike and put a plate on it and then have a blast. I mean, that's really kind of a cool thing. And I know that there's a lot of states that would kill to be able to do it, like California mm -hmm. and others where, uh, you know, it's tough to even get anything registered, let alone an off-road only dirt bike. So. Yeah. This past weekend was crazy weekend, but I was able to uh, borrow a buddy of mine's van and was able to go get the XS400 from my brother-in-law's house. Uh, I'd been sitting there for a month, and I figured, well, we've been here for a month. It's time to time to get it over here, and um, so I loaded it up in the rain, <laughs> brought it home, and uh, did I put it in the put it in the garage and realized, okay, I need to reorganize the garage finally, and started putting things away on Sunday and. You know, move piles around so I could more move move more piles around so I could begin to organize kind of thing. And I'm like, all right, so bike had a space, and I'm like, oh, let's see if it starts because it'd been a month, right? Yeah, starts right up. I'm like, 
okay, cool. And it was on, it was on the choke and whatever. And I'm like, okay. And it seemed to throttle was okay. And then I pushed choke in all the way after it warmed up and I'm like, ah, a little funny. I'm like, all right. So I was like, oh, hey, let me go get my helmet, even though there's, you know, outdated pl- or expired plates and, and no insurance on it. But let me run to the corner and at least put air in the tires because yeah. probably about 10 pounds air in the tires right now. Um, and then when I started blipping the throttle a little bit when the choke was all the way in, I'm like, OK, well, maybe not. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But just about it. an hour about an hour ago, I was out there and I did that and it seemed to be OK. So maybe the last of the gunk is out of the out of the pilot jet so yeah i was gonna say i remember you talking about before you moved it it running but not when you pushed the choke in so i don't know hopefully it just had some nasty stuff in there and fresh gas will kind of clean it out and then it'll run just fine that's what i'm hoping the month where the fresh gas sat in there kind of yeah yeah last of it out so well that's good pete's pete's calling in so let's uh let's bring pete in and think he was gonna be able to make it today so hey pete hey good evening just got home from work Good. I just got done with the world's hardest chemistry exam. Well, prior to getting done with the world's most difficult Department of Licensing process. Uh, oh, gosh, man, my brain is fried. So I'm probably not going to be as cheery on this one as I normally am. Not that I'm ever cheery, but we'll see. <laughs> So this week we are going to pick up on the topic that Garrett and I tried to do last week. And that was an article from about six weeks ago now uh, that was on Gear Patrol, which is kind of a cool site. They have some stuff. It's a little, sometimes a little too trendy and hipster, but, you know, you take content where you can get it. Yep. Uh, they had an article. It was the best vintage superbikes under ten grand, And they had picked five out of uh, some eBay articles or eBay listings. And there's some pretty interesting choices uh, running a gamut of the last what 25 well actually really almost 40 years yeah uh, when we go back to the to the first one so we figured we'd run down run them down and kind of talk about them and a couple yeah, and of them were some steals <laughs> i mean some yeah. absolute steals that's what i like about this article is this is not the five theoretical best super bikes um, these were actually for sale when they made this article. So these were ones that you could actually go buy that didn't have any affiliation to gear patrol. They just found them on eBay and not to say that these are the five best, but these are five really neat. What were super bikes for the time, uh, that you could buy for a, a couple of them absolutely blew me away, but I feel like we should start with the first one that they list. Uh, which is a Honda CB750, a 1972 flavor. Because uh, remember, they've made CB750s for many, many years. But the early ones are super cool. And the CB750 is really one of the most iconic and early super bikes uh, of the time. And so this one here, from the pictures, looks really, really nice. And I don't know. Let's see what it sold for. Uh, it ended up selling. The winning bid was $5,000. And it's pretty dang nice for that price, I would and, say. Oh, that's right. And this was the one that was literally six miles from my house. <laughs> yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Ferndale, Michigan is, lit- is, is literally six miles down the street from yeah. down Woodward uh, yeah. from me. So, And so I feel like with. Any CB750 that's been well cared for, how could you go wrong? 
on a motorcycle like this. You know, it's it's such a, a popular motorcycle. They produce so many of them that you can get parts for them all day long. There's never a shortage of anything for these motorcycles, unlike my Yamaha TX750, where I can not even get throttle cables nowadays. You know, like my uh, 750 recently, when I went on that trip up to the mountains, my throttle cable broke. So you can't get throttle cables for it, but somebody sells some that are listed for, quote, a TX750. So that's that's what I got just to figure out that they're too long and I ended up having to make spacers for it. But stuff like this, this CB750, you're not going to have to do anything like that. You can keep this on the road for pretty much ever. You guess the nice thing about Honda selling a million of these bikes, probably close to literally a million of these yeah. bikes. Uh, yeah, is, is that there is an aftermarket support, and to the point you might be able to build one just from from spare parts. So. I'm sure you could if you just had a frame. Uh, you could probably build everything else from aftermarket. You're probably not going to find the exact right. same tank, but you could find any kind of tank you wanted for it, and you could build a wheel set. I'm sure you can buy crankshafts for them. Maybe not cylinders, but still, there's going to be so many cylinders around that you'll find a good set. Um, and, and a CB750, they're powerful enough to get you around just fine. They're you know, not going to win a modern drag race, but still, you'll have plenty of fun on it. And so... Uh, yeah. They were what seventy five, maybe eighty horsepower uh, yeah. when they were new. Yeah, maybe just shy, but um, mm. still, you know, like I've talked about um, my TX seven fifty. It has sixty three horsepower, probably on a good day, and it still is plenty powerful enough to get me around just fine. And keeping in mind that my seven fifty also weighs, I think five hundred and thirty pounds. Uh, the CB750 is not going to be a whole lot lighter, if any at all, but still, it has quite a bit more power. And I'm happy on my 750, and I'm an experienced rider. So, um, you know, a bike like this also, you're never going to lose money on it. It's always no. going to be valuable. In fact, it's probably going to gain in value over time. It's it's an Especially icon. W- Especially one this clean, or at least that appears to be yeah. this clean. I mean, 17,600 miles, it's barely been ridden. right. Exactly. And the other thing that I like about these is you can buy, this is an early one, so it's going to have a points ignition, but you can buy an electronic ignition for it, and then you don't have to maintain that part of it. And, you know, it's a simple motorcycle to work on, especially if you do put an electronic ignition on it. So um, not only is it a good bike for experienced riders and experienced mechanics to have but even somebody that hasn't really worked on motorcycles a lot and maybe wants to get something that they can tinker on it's the perfect bike it's sporty for the time easy to work on reliable dead reliable so and the only like you said the only downside to it maybe is that um it, it, it's a little heavy. I mean, it, people yeah. think it doesn't look like much and it's true, but there, there's a lot of cast iron floating around on that bike. Yeah. So it's a little heavy. Um, yeah. And but but I mean, you know, you can always like as you're playing with it, you can get better brakes or at least upgrade brake pads and stuff. And yeah, and, and be and be in reasonable shape at that That's point. That's true, because it's some things that you take for granted about new motorcycles is they're lighter, but they also move weight around to give it the feeling of being even lighter than it is. Uh, you don't get that on these older motorcycles. Uh, not to say that it's a Goldwing or anything like that, but, um, you know, it would be a tough thing to pick up off the ground if you let it fall over. 
So Pete, you made a noise when I mentioned uh, horsepower. So was I way off on that one? Uh, sixty-eight horsepower is what the CB750K really? was rated at. Yeah. Oh, really? Seventy-two. Uh, early, early seventies. Yeah, yeah, around that early seventies. Yeah. Wow, that's that's way less than I thought. I mean, that's with wow. an electronic ignition, you'll probably pick up a couple. If not a couple right. horsepower, a couple of torque, because they do burn much, much better with that hotter spark energy. True. But maybe that's what you could do for us, Pete, is be our fact checker. <laughs> <laughs> Eric and I will be a, like in a debate, and you can be our moderator and fact checker. <laughs> and Eric, right. back to you. <laughs> so uh, next Pete, on... What did you, any thoughts on that, uh, on that 750 that was in there? Uh the, I'm not. I, I kind of thought five grand was a bit high for it. Uh, I know that they are the darlings right now of everybody, but keep in mind, it was in 1969-70 a very modern motorcycle. Today, when you ride it, it's going to feel really vintage. Yeah, right. The, the brakes and everything, and this one didn't have the stock exhausts on it. It's got uh, right. It's kind got of some kind of kind of a really tacky set of turnouts that I would want to put like a four into one on it, you know, replace the exhaust system on it. Uh, the suspension is going to be really oversprung and probably no damping at all. Now uh, I'm a little less enthused than you guys are. It looks like it's overall in nice shape. Nobody's put pot air filters and ripped the air box out of it or any of the other things or ripped the fenders off of it. So right. yeah, it's, it's nice. So where I was coming at with the $5,000 mark is you you can buy them cheaper, absolutely. Um, but it, at least in this part of the country, when I look at CB750s, the ones that people are asking, and I understand that asking is different than selling price, but when people are asking $5,000 for a CB750, oftentimes they're in worse shape. Um, and then you can get them cheaper than $5,000, but you then start to sacrifice some things. And although this has some kind of goofy exhaust on it, it looks mostly untampered with. It's I even got the original handlebars on it. And, and that's really, I think, what I look for, especially in these older motorcycles, is how much of it somebody has touched. I would say that, yeah, I think that's a fair price given what CB750s are going for now. I am not sure that uh, I would want to have end up with that motorcycle if I was in the market to spend $5,000 on something. Yeah, that's a good point. Because for $5,000, uh, you are well on your way to getting an FZ7, <laughs> a, a new bike, if you're looking for something for commuting. Or, you know, maybe... Uh, five or six year old fz6 yeah is mm -hmm. a five thousand dollar motorcycle i think that would be a whole lot more rewarding than this i, I don't know it if you're if you're one of those people that is looking for a vintage classic bike it's probably a good deal at five grand if you're looking for a generic motorcycle to take out and use i probably. think it's a it's a little yeah. bit too old for that yeah. yeah i think i think that's definitely a bike for you want a vintage motorcycle um, yeah, and like you, you want a CB750, <laughs> or or you're thinking you want sort of the you know quote unquote traditional British 60s kind of looking bike, mm -hmm. um, but you probably maybe, better performance, maybe yeah well not only better performance more reliable etc cetera, etc cetera, then there you go so yeah so let's move on next on yep. their list and and this one was probably the most surprising um, at least initially 
in terms of what it sold for. It's a 1985 Honda Interceptor 1000, the VF1000R, yep. and it sold for $3,200. When it's it probably looks better in pictures. At least it does in the first picture because then when I was scanning through, I noticed that it has some scuffs in the fairings. And so it, it's been over. But when I first saw this motorcycle, I thought for sure that it was closer to $10,000 than it was $5,000. Um, but sure enough, $3,200 was a winning bid. Uh, what did you think of this motorcycle, Eric? Uh, I remember these things being out. I remember them being kind of exotic now granted you know growing up in the midwest you're not going to see a lot of this stuff and and the couple that you saw were like wow and then obviously it's you know thousand cc v4 you know soup looks like you know mega fast super bike right uh and and yeah the initial pictures before you get to the detail ones you're like wow this is because they are kind of rare you don't see yeah. many of them not many you're at like, all wow, this yeah, it's got to be. What, what were we guessing last week? Like seven, eight thousand dollars for that before we looked I at mean, the price. Yeah, I, I honestly thought it was going to be closer to ten, just because, like you said, you don't see them very often, and they were. I mean, they weren't like a big deal back in the day, but if if, if you had one, that was pretty cool. So I thought yeah. for sure it would be more than what it sold for. Yeah, thirty two hundred dollars, and it had what twenty five thousand three hundred miles on it. Yeah. So. Uh, I just looked up the list price new was sixty two ninety eight. Sixty two hundred dollars. Wow. Wait, gotta remember that's nineteen that's nineteen eighty. That's nineteen eighty five. You could have bought a car for less than that. That's all right. I I I so I gotta look up I gotta pull up the CPI calculator on that one. <laughs> yeah. That's uh I'm gonna guess off the top of my head, that's about twenty some odd twenty two thousand dollars. Yeah. Um, and so it is 19- for the time, a super exotic motorcycle. I mean, you on it, it's got a rear seat cowl, which was like the cool thing to, you know, have that kind of streamlined super bike look. Um, the wheels look really exotic on it. And, you know, it's got also an exotic engine sound. So you probably felt really, really cool riding something like this in 1985. Now, I will right. say I can remember the reviewers saying in 1985 that it really was not a racetrack handling bike. Yeah. That that it was a little top heavy. It was it was not as good a performance on the track as like the GSXR and some of the other yeah. the the FZR Yamaha were actually better handling bikes than this one. Yeah. <laughs> and so I would say if I were in the market for an older cool around $5,000 Superbike. I think I would buy an RC51 decades before buying something like this. An RC51 is probably going to be six thousand for a really nice one. And uh, like you were saying earlier, Pete, if if you have to have something old and classic, that's what you're looking for, then buy it. But if you want something that's a little bit easier to ride, a little bit less maintenance, an RC51, not much more money, but probably a much better motorcycle. Eric, did you get? The inflation calculation on this? Yeah, I'm actually a little disappointed in it. It says a fourteen, <laughs> just shy of fourteen grand. Oh, I I use the uh, Bureau of Labor Statistics computer, and it's saying fourteen thousand one hundred. So, yeah, four, fourteen grand, which is what yeah. about the same as a BMW R twelve hundred RS? I think is fourteen five. So I gotta yeah. say a modern Fireblade's probably about fourteen five, fifteen yeah. grand. So yeah. 
So I guess not that far off, huh? No, where it should have been. Somewhat surprising. If if I was going to do something like this, I would probably be more tempted to get the VF-1000F interceptor that's Mm -hmm. a little bit more livable as a street bike Mm -hmm. because this is kind of in that gray zone of it's really not going to be comfortable enough to take out and use like a street bike. And you certainly nowadays wouldn't want to take it to the track. So what do you do with it other than take it down and show it off at the at the Tasty Freeze? Yeah. (laughs) So that reminds me, because one of my friends is looking for a first motorcycle and I was uh, finding some of these earlier interceptors because I thought, you know, for the price, this one's kind of expensive. But there is several on my local Craigslist that I thought were pretty cool. And I haven't really got a chance to look over this one, but there's one on Craigslist. It's an 83 750 interceptor. And it looks pretty clean in the pictures. I don't see anything like catastrophically wrong with it. Uh, Thirty eight hundred bucks. It's got thirteen thousand five hundred miles on it. It's probably nicer than the one that we're looking at, and you know, kind of similar in, in price. That's what this guy's asking. I don't know. It, it's funny to look at that frame in in today's eyes and go, "Look how skinny that is." But in the in the day, in the, you know, in that day, it's like, "Wow, look this perimeter, you know, aluminum right. frame or whatever." It's like. Yeah, we'll look at like the 1998, 99 Yamaha R1s with that gigantic frame tube that uh, ran up next to the engine. Things have changed. <laughs> yes. Yeah, very much. Yep. All right. The next one we have coming up was another one that I remember back in the day. If you were rolling on this, you were the boss. Uh, this was uh, this was you were hardcore if you had this one. It was a ni- this one is a 1987 Suzuki GSXR 750. This is the old air and air and uh, oil cooled, um, you know, with the frame and it was just it, it was like the hardest of the hardcore sport bikes back in back in that era. Yeah, right. No, and and this one's probably the one that I'm uh, most into out of all of the bikes on the list. Um, maybe second, uh, this motorcycle I thought was the coolest thing when I was younger, mainly because, and, and keep in mind in 1987, I was only one year old. So by the time <laughs> I could appreciate this, it, it wasn't like a new bike, but, uh, I remember when I was pretty young, my dad told me about riding a GSXR 1000 and he described it as being the most vicious animal of a motorcycle. You could not keep the front end down if you tried. I mean, if you even thought about touching the throttle, it would wheelie. And so I put these older GSXRs on a pedestal like they were the most vicious things. Uh, you know, now I know a little bit different, but um, I've always been really, really fond of them. Um, and I think it would be really cool to have one of these GSXRs. And I mean for no other reason other than to blow a bunch of money. But to have one of these and then also one of those little 50cc ones that matches. Just like (laughs) – and then I I feel like I could like get one of my goofy friends to ride along with me. uh, You know, and I'll ride the big bike and he ride the little bike and we'll just cruise around town. Yeah, but at any rate, I think these are pretty darn cool. This one is – looks really nice in the pictures. Um I don't know if maybe it's been restored. The gauges all look pretty fresh, but um, it did not sell and it's been relisted. So uh, by the time this article came out, there was a buy it now for $6,300. Nobody purchased it. 
Uh, it's been relisted and it's currently on again. I buy it now for sixty three hundred dollars. It has a couple of days left, just shy. Um, and it looks like a lot of people are watching it. There's seventy one people watching it, but nobody is stepping up at sixty three hundred. So it's probably not worth that much. Here's the crazy thing. I just pulled this up. This is for an eighty five, but essentially it's it's close enough to the same bike. Um, it weighed. 388 dry, so those are always fun, but let's call it about 430 full of fluids. And the uncontrollable super horsepower of the day, <laughs> 106 horsepower. Yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, for the day, that was a big deal. Now, yeah. I mean, just about anything has that much horsepower, but, uh, you know, that was incredible for the time. Um, I, you know, I don't know how collectible this bike would ever be. Um, I can see it being somewhat collectible in the sense that so many were, were raced, so many were, were crashed that there may not be that many unmolested ones left. And this one, like you say, looks fairly unmolested or at least well restored. So is it ever going to be worth much more than that? It, that's hard to say, but it, it's one of those ones that it's kind of an interesting piece of 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 time in history yeah i don't and also the thing to remember about the gsxr when it came out is it wasn't the most powerful thing out there it was that it was so much lighter and handled so much better and was so much more of a true race grand prix replica that yeah the the 100 horsepower wasn't all that impressive at the time but it was just that it was such a hard-edged track bike for the street. Right, and 106 horsepower and a middleweight bike um, was pretty good. I don't know. I, I think that that's probably not far away from the horsepower of the bigger bikes. The bigger bikes probably had maybe a half a dozen more horsepower, but like Pete said, this one, just the handling and lightness of it, um, was probably exceptionally suited for the track. I don't know if it's ever going to be worth a huge amount of money, um, but I seriously don't think it's going to decline in value if somebody kept it in good shape. So, so the bikes of this era are, are kind of like certain cars of the era where if you were, well, my age or Pete's age and, you know, you were younger in that time, in that you know mid to late 80s. And those were the bikes or cars you lusted over. And now that you're older and maybe have, you know, in a better financial situation, you're like, I kind of want something from my youth again. And and that's why some of the prices, well, not so much on bikes yet, but certain cars are just absolutely absurd. And and not to go off on on a rat hole, but for example, a, an E30 BMW M3, and they didn't make a lot of them and they were expensive when they were new. But, but they you can stupid expensive. You can buy a brand new M2 BMW, yes. which is like a fifty-five thousand dollar car, and that's what they're asking for an for an E30 M3. Right. And just like you've got to be kidding me. So it, it's a whole long debate, and I don't want to go down that rat hole. But that's yeah. why I'm saying it could have some potential collector value, just because it's of that time frame. And you know, now as we're in our late 40s and early 50s or mid 50s. Um, some of that stuff might come back who knows hard yeah this motorcycle i will just say i think it's the car equivalent or uh, the motorcycle equivalent to a car uh, the fox body mustang 
Mm-hmm. I think, you know, Fox body Mustangs, they're like kind of collectible. They're not really that valuable though. Um, but, but if you I want to clean, they'll one, always spend... have some value. Yeah. The, the, but the clean ones are becoming very rare and you're having to spend 14 and $15,000 for a Fox body Mustang, which is kind yeah. of odd, but cause yeah. that's what they were new. But anyways, right. um, right, yeah, let's talk about the next bike, 1990 Ducati. Um, I'm not much of a Ducati fan, uh, so I don't know. I don't really have any strong feelings about this one. Uh, I, I think maybe you're a more kind of an Italian lover than I am. What do you think, Eric? Yeah, no, I, I remember uh, us talking about this last week when we when we first tried to record. You're like, eh, yeah, can't be bothered, and I'm like, but. Oh my yeah. God! Poland World Superbike <laughs> Championship winning machines and the sound. Right. I you know? don't get me wrong. The sound of a Ducati is probably unequaled, but the repair bills and the headache are probably also unequaled. And I, again, I've said this a billion times. Whenever I talk about Ducatis, I always feel like I have to uh, qualify by saying. I don't know if it's true or not. I don't know if Ducatis are unreliable machines, but that's just. Every time I hear somebody talk about Ducatis, it's usually in kind of a love-hate way where it's an amazing bike and they love it when it works, but it just doesn't work all the time. So it's just kind of scared me from them. I I love the way this bike looks. I I think it's a super classic-looking, sexy, red Ducati. What do you think, uh, Pete? Uh, I've never liked Ducatis just because I don't like Ducati owners. It's like it's like the BMW of the motorcycle world, you know. I mean BMW yeah. cars, where where it's just a bunch of snobby people, you know. Well, if you really knew as much as I do, you would appreciate yeah. this. And I'm like, oh, blow it. And yeah. and I just I can't get past the douchebaggery of Ducati owners. Going back, I had when I was uh, going to community college and first couple years out of out of high school, I had a friend, I should say a riding acquaintance that had a 73 uh, bevel drive Ducati. And I equate every Ducati owner since then with him. (laughs) So, you know, he, he would say things like, well, you know, the, the cadence of a 90 degree L twin is exactly the same as the human heart. And I'm like, oh, please, you yeah. are so opposite. <laughs> <laughs> that, oh. that does sound like something a Ducati owner would say. In college, I had a friend of a friend who had one of these. And I got to ride it once, and it was somewhat magical. And then as much for it's it, one of the rare bikes, it's sort of like it was as good as I hoped it would be. Mm-hmm. That said... It wasn't exactly super comfortable to ride any kind of distance that you kind of have in the Midwest where there's very few curvy roads. And it had almost no steering lock. So you sort of had the, you know, there was no such thing as a three-point turn. It was more like about a nine-point turn. Yeah. Uh, But, you know, the the sounds it made, not just the acceleration, but... Coming, you know, as you as you're rolling off the throttle, and then of course the uh, the dry clutch, which as you as you described last week was like putting a a bunch of uh, uh, of nuts or, or right. uh, screw nuts in in a in a tin can and rattling them around. <laughs> yeah, they they sound. I have a friend that he'd never heard a Ducati run before, and one fired up 
next to where we were standing. And he in- instantly got this look on his face like he thought he should probably run from it because <laughs> of the sound that dry clutch makes. I mean, you'd be surprised at how much oil will dampen the sound of a clutch because yeah. when they're dry and out in the air, uh, they don't sound particularly good. Uh, yeah. But that's just the sound of a dry clutch. And as, like, a, not and used as, to it, though. And as the Ducati clutch. guys once said, loud clutches save lives, brother. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So this one, this one actually wasn't on eBay. It was on uh, like Cycle Trader or something for eighty five dollars, right. and it so. still still is it's still for sale. Yeah, yep, it, it has not sold. Uh, they're still asking eighty five hundred dollars. So it tells me that they're either overpriced or they just haven't come across that one guy that's got to have one because his friend yep. had one back in high school or whatever. So yep. um, last on our list, I think this one's this probably was the one my you were favorite. most excited about. Yeah. Yeah, so a 1992 Yamaha FCR-1000 with the X-Up exhaust. Uh, this just the predecessor to um, the R1 in a way. And for it's 1992, for its time, this was a pretty incredible motorcycle. 145 horsepower. Um, the X-Up exhaust system is really just kind of a glorified power valve. I don't think there's anything particularly special about it. You guys probably know more about this motorcycle than I do. Pete, I would like to hear your thoughts on it. I will say that a, an 88 FZR 1000 with the non X-Up. And I wrote an article about this once on Hooniverse, uh, Remains the motorcycle that I have gone fastest on in my life. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. That and so I have I have a bit of a fondness for it, but it's not anything I ever need to ride again. I'm yeah I'm firmly into old man mode, and it's a wonderful memory to have. The one thing I would say about this is, man, it's really it's just old enough to be a really cool vintage collectible thing, but. It's going to be reliable. It's right. still going to have decent brakes and a lot of power and decent handling and a strong enough frame that it's not going to flex and scare you. And I mean, it's a thoroughly, it's still a modern motorcycle. Mm-hmm. I, I was going to say, and, and you're, it, because it has more modern sized wheels, you're always going to be able to get tires for it. Yeah. And- Which on some older bikes, especially like the, interceptor we talked about earlier those i think had 16 inch front wheels on it and you're not always going to finding good good tires modern modern rubber kind of thing um could become an issue down the road yeah i think that this bike also has pretty timeless design where it's it looks really good now and and it did then for sure um it's got inverted forks on it it's got that big delta box frame um it's going to be a rigid ride like you said pete Uh, A lot of horsepower. In fact, it's really not. If you look at this motorcycle and compare it to the first generation R1, there are a ton of similarities. Uh, They both actually make about the same power. The frame design is really similar. Uh, They've both got inverted forks. Braking systems are really pretty similar. And speaking of your experience on one of these motorcycles, Pete, and it being the fastest you've ever gone, um, just a generation of motorcycle later and r1 is the fastest motorcycle or at least the highest speed i've ever achieved on a motorcycle is on a r1 um but really not that much different than this one the thing that impressed me most about the fcr 1000 that i rode was 
first of all, the Top Gear roll-on was really impressive. You could be in fifth at 70 miles an hour, whack the throttle open, and still need that bump stop behind you. And yeah. and that was the first bike I ever ride rode where you didn't have to downshift ever. You just, right. no matter what you wanted to pass, no matter where how fast you wanted to go, you just hit the throttle and there was more power than you would think appropriate. Yeah. That's that's like the time I uh, I rode a friend of mine. I was out in the Bay Area and rode a friend of mine, the ZX-11. And, and same kind of thing. It was like, it was the power was turbine-like yeah. is the best way to describe it. Whatever you wanted, you just rolled on the throttle and bang, you were like, wow, I guess I should slow down. <laughs> well, that's one of the reasons why I suggest a 1000 or at least a 750 to people that ask me about what size of motorcycle they think they should ride. And while 1000s have way more horsepower than a person could ever need or should need, um, they also have a lot more torque. And so it makes the experience when you're in top gear and you're not into the upper RPM range, you still have a lot of grunt to be able to accelerate. And it just makes the ride, I think, a little bit more pleasant. Um, when you have all of that torque, uh, I don't know why I thought about that, but speaking of Yamaha fours, have you watched Cager on two wheels review of the, uh, FZ or the MT 10? He calls it over <laughs> there. Uh, he, no, but please don't tell me he thought it was the world's ugliest motorcycle. No, no. It, <laughs> he, he was just saying how much power he had it like oh, in, yeah. in the, in B mode, you know, like in the, in yeah. the, the reduced power setting and he yeah. was like holy crap oh this yeah. is so fat this like well, bends physics <laughs> and especially for him in portugal they i don't think motorcycles like that are the like he was saying fuel mileage is paramount there because of the the cost of fuel and the average income and all that and so i think something like an mt10 is probably not that common. And remember, Cager, what, I think what he normally rides is something like a NC700 or maybe a V-Strom, something of that realm. And so to go from something like that to an MT-10 would be quite frightening because especially the MT-10, it doesn't have the power that the R1 has, but it has unbelievable torque yeah. for that style of engine. What is, what is the biggest Ninja? Is it is it a... Is it 14. A 1400, yeah. yeah. Uh, he... His review on the the Ninja fourteen hundred is <laughs> like is going back in time. <laughs> absolutely a riot. If you yeah. anybody who hasn't seen it, just you need to go check out Cadron Two Wheel on the Ninja because he's he's like every other word. Holy frack! Yeah. You know, it's just you know, like go check out any one of his reviews because they're <laughs> all super funny. <laughs> and when he was when he was on, he kept saying, "Well, I, I don't think I'm funny." I was like, "Yes, you are. Yeah. You just your reaction is priceless." <laughs> I got to catch up on some of his stuff. I'm a little behind and yeah. watching some other things, but yeah, it's, it's he's he's enjoyable to watch. So, well, we covered the list. Yep. So I think that's probably a good place to wrap it up. I want to. I don't know if you guys actually listened to the the one that went live uh, yesterday, but I am toy not super seriously, but somewhat seriously toying about a uh, CTX 700N, the naked. CTX 700. Uh, my wife, Sarah, went out and we went looking at it. I kind of was like, tell me what you're interested in. And we went to a couple different dealerships and looked at a bunch of bikes. And that was really the one she kind of went, this is, this is comfortable. I like it. It would be 
really, you know, it's not too big. It's not too heavy. It's not intimidating. It's not so small that you're going to feel like you're, you're sitting on a toothpick when you're out on the highway. Uh, it's got a real grunty low end engine, 60 yeah. miles a gallon. You know, 47 horsepower isn't much, but like I said, we're old people. Yeah. And my, and my wife has never been an aggressive driver. Having something she can whack open the throttle at low RPMs is going to be much more comfortable to her than something that is super revvy. Yeah, the only complaint that I've heard about these, which might not affect your wife, is they have a really narrow RPM range, and when you hit the top of it, it, it signs off really it quick. It hits a rev limiter and it it stops. So if you're merging onto traffic and you hit that rev limiter, it's just like letting off the throttle. I mean, and, and so other than that, I've heard really good things about the power plant. Obviously, like you said, it's not uh, a huge amount of power. It's not what you need. It, it's got just the right amount of power for what you needed to do, right? Yeah. I um, and yeah, it's sub five hundred ball five hundred ish pounds, depending on if you go with the DCT or the uh standard transmission. So yeah, it's not I, bad. Quite honestly, we're gonna uh, I would really like to get the ABS. Uh after talking to my friend Rusty about how much he likes the DCT on his Africa twin and watching some of the reviews, I'd really like to try the DCT. The problem is there are so many of the 2017 or 20 excuse me 2014 manual transmission non ABS that's one of the bikes i named in our best bang for the best bike mm-hmm. buck episode and yeah. what 5500 bucks under out the door wow. under $5500 wow wow so that's, that's a value awesome deal and yeah. and the one if you want to get the full fairing or the DCT or any other model you immediately jump up 1000 to $1500 yeah. So it's, as I said, not not sure I want to do it now. I will say that they have, Honda's got a promotion through the end of September for $1,000 to spend on accessories in the dealership and uh, 2.9% financing. Yeah. So it's kind of like they want to get rid of these. That's pretty attractive. Yeah. So, <laughs> so that's what, about $89 a month? Yeah. It, well, they'll, they'll only do it for 36 months. So it ends up being like $140, a month for three years. Yeah. If so you, that's assuming you don't put anything down on it, you know, get it right. zero down. Yeah. So, yeah. So I don't know. We'll, we'll have to play around with that one, but I think that yeah. could be a really fun bike. She wants to stay proficient on two wheels is the big thing. She wants to yeah. be able to go out and just ride around every once in a while and, and quite honestly, spending six, seven grand. Suddenly you're getting into, well, how often are we going to use this for that kind of money? So, right. So I don't yeah, know. Well, well, I'll be excited to see what you do. Yeah, yep. I haven't decided yet. Yep. I may do nothing at all. <laughs> I mean, all right, Garrett, where can, uh, where can they, everyone find us on the social medias? Uh, find us on Twitter at the false neutral. I really need to post some things on there. I've been meaning to. So look for some. Uh, here pretty soon, look for some Supermoto stuff for my new YZ450F that I just got my plate for. Um, so find us on Twitter at the False Neutral, um, Facebook slash the False Neutral, I think. Yep. Yeah, that's right. Um, and then also, as always, uh, find us on the Hooniverse. Uh, send us a comment. Tell us what you hate. Tell us what you like. Ask us a question. Uh, whatever you want. We're pretty open. And and to remind you, we do post pictures of everything, so you can kind of follow along as you're listening on the Hooniverse. Go to our post, and you can see pictures of all the bikes we are talking about as we're talking about them. 
And Absolutely. after you've listened, go back and leave us a note. Tell us, tell us what you think there. Yep. All right. Sounds good. Good to hear from you guys. Yeah. And we'll do this again next week. All right.